Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where each week I discuss practical, simple, and scientifically backed ways to help you take back control of your mental health, help others, and ultimately live your happiest life. In this episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Stephen Gundry. Dr. Stephen Gundry is a cardiothoracic surgeon and director and founder of the International Heart and Lung Institute as well as the Center for Restorative Medicine in Palm Springs and Santa Barbara, California. Dr. Gundry is passionate about teaching people how to avoid surgery by using his unique vision of human nutrition. His mission is to improve people's health, happiness and longevity by making simple changes to their diet. He is also a four-time New York Times bestselling author and a leading expert on the lectin-free diet as the key to reversing disease and increasing longevity, which he explains in his book, The Plant Paradox, and in his newest book, The Longevity Paradox, where he shares the secrets on how to live your best, longest life. In this episode, Dr. Gundry and I discuss his fascinating research and unique opinions on how certain foods affect our bodies and longevity overall, why we may be living longer but we're not living better, how our bacteria control our behavior and bodies, the plant paradox and how some vegetables could be hurting us, how gut health and mental health are directly linked, and how to optimize gut health. Dr. Gundry also gives advice on what to feed your children and how some everyday foods are linked to childhood heart problems, and how to develop healthy habits in children. Just before we start, I want to thank everyone again who has left a review, subscribed to this podcast, and shared it on social media and with friends and family. Not only does your feedback help me improve each episode, but I really love seeing you, what you guys are learning, and what key takeaways you have. It's so encouraging and exciting. And... If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review. This information in this podcast is free. All I ask is that you share and subscribe. One more note before we begin. This interview was recorded remotely, so the audio quality may be a little scratchy in some areas. Now, back to today's episode. Dr. Gundry, it is such an honor to have you on my show. I really, I love your work and I've been following you for a while and I've got your books and I'd love you to share a little bit more about you that's sort of in your bio and what got you where you are today, why you do what you do and just a huge welcome to having you on my podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I don't know. What do you want to know that people don't know about me? Uh, well, you can give your broad overview and then if there's some, you know, something else you'd like to add. I think a couple of interesting things. I had uh, back in the dark ages at Yale University <laughs> as an undergraduate, I, I had a 
four-year research project on human evolutionary biology where I tried to argue that you could take a great ape, manipulate its food supply, and manipulate its uh, environment and prove that you would arrive at a human being. And I actually defended my thesis and then gave it to my parents and went off to become a very famous heart surgeon. And <laughs> That's a lovely story. Yeah, and, and kind of forgot all about it until I was chairman and professor of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University in Southern California and pioneered with my partner, Leonard Bailey, baby and infant heart transplants and became very famous for taking on very difficult cases. And so my life was really changed in the late 90s by meeting a gentleman I call Big Ed, who had inoperable coronary artery disease. And Big Ed had been on a diet for six months before he saw me and had lost 45 pounds. And he had gone to a health food store and was taking a bunch of supplements, which I thought made expensive urine back then. Mm. Lo and behold, this guy in six months' time cleaned out 50% of inoperable coronary artery blockages. And I'd never seen anything like that. And I see it all the time now. But I said, gee, you know, tell me all about this diet. And uh, he starts rambling off this diet. And I go, wait a minute. Flashback. This was actually the diet I described in my research project. Wow. So many years ago. And I called my parents who lived in San Diego at the time. And I said, hey, do you, you know, do you still have my thesis? A big thick tome. They said, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've got it. And I said, well, send it up. And it's actually sitting in my office. I'm staring at it right now. Oh, wow. So I was a I was a big fat guy, even though I was a famous heart surgeon. That's kind of dumb. And <laughs> running 30 miles a week, going to the gym one hour a day and eating a healthy, low fat, mostly uh, vegetarian diet. And so I put myself on this program and I lost 50 pounds my first year and lost another my goodness. Lost another 20 pounds subsequently, and I've kept it off for over 20 years. My goodness. So, cut to the chase, I started putting the patients I operated on, on this program to keep them away from me subsequently. And then after a year of doing this and watching the changes in people's lives, I made a really horrible mistake and said, I've, I'm doing this all wrong. I shouldn't operate on people first and then teach them how to eat. I should teach them how to eat, and maybe I won't have to operate on them. Now, as a heart surgeon, that's really stupid, (laughs) And so as my wife likes to remind me through the years. But (laughs) I resigned my position at the top of my game and set up a clinic in Palm Springs where I asked people to take certain foods out of their diet and go get some supplements at Costco or Trader Joe's. There wasn't an Amazon back then. Mm-hmm. And every three months, I'd draw blood on them to see what was happening, and kind of the rest is history. And we saw patterns that were reproducible and wrote uh, a bunch of best-selling books uh, since that time. And now I have two clinics, one in Palm Springs and one in Santa Barbara. And I see patients actually uh, six days a week, even Saturdays and Sundays. That's incredible. Still do. So That's incredible. You must love what you do to be working seven days a week or six days a week. Yeah, well, yeah. And the other day, I'm actually at Gundry MD, my supplement company, and uh, making new fun formulas based actually on the research that I do on my patients. Yeah, I love what I do. I'm like a kid in a candy store. And, you know, kind of every... 
day I get to see what I would have called uh, miracles long ago or just unbelievable things. But now, so I keep working because every day I get to, I learn something from a patient virtually every day. And so much of my research was prompted by a patient asking me a question I didn't have an answer for or asking me about a supplement that I had never heard of. And I would try it on myself first and find out, you know, what the effect would be. So there you go. That's an incredible story. And, and you know, it's very inspiring when a doctor actually is driven by the patient as opposed to the doctor telling the patient what to do, <laughs> which obviously that's what you also need to do. But you're responding to the patient's need and listening to the patient's story. I mean, who knows themselves better than the person? So that's very, very inspiring. I love that. And I love your mission, teach people how to avoid surgery by using your unique vision of human nutrition. So can you share a bit more about what this is and what this unique vision is that you discovered quite a few years back? Well, one of the things that was interesting about my research at Yale, we evolved from the line of apes, and we are a great ape. And we were primarily forest-dwelling, leaf-eating, fruit-eating uh, animals. And we were exposed to plant compounds, as all animals are, that contain what are called lectins. And lectins are primarily plant proteins that are designed by the plant as a defense system against bees. And early on, we have to realize that uh, plants were not put here on Earth as food for animals. They were actually here first. And when insects arrived, plants had a problem because they couldn't run, hide, fight, but they were chemists of incredible ability. So they use chemical biological warfare to make animals think twice about eating them. And what I got interested in was these plant proteins that are called lectins. When we have a very good defense system against plant lectins, we have a phenomenal microbiome that, believe it or not, is very adept at eating lectins. We have wonderful stomach acid, which breaks down proteins. And we have a mucus layer uh, lining our GI tract and lining our mouth and nose that absorbs lectins. And so we had a pretty good system going on. Now, fast forward to 10,000 years ago, when we began for the first time eating grains and beans, which were, quite frankly, lethal unless cooked because of their lectin content. And while it's true that grains and beans made us what we are today and certainly allowed for civilization as we know it to happen, nevertheless, we paid a price beginning 10,000 years ago. We actually shrunk dramatically. Our brain size decreased 15% over what it was 10,000 years ago. So I documented that in my research long ago. And when I started taking these modern foods away from people and having them eat, I like to joke that we should party like it's 9,999 years ago, like <laughs> a riff on 
Prince's old song. Yeah. Most of the diseases that we assume are, you know, going to happen to us actually go away. We also take away foods that are even more modern. And one of the things, since you're originally from Africa, all of us uh, in the United States are not from the United States. Originally, we were all European, African, or Asian. And so none of us, except for Native Americans, who were actually Asian, were exposed to North and South American plants until 500 years ago when Columbus started trade. And some of our most beloved foods, like peanuts, cashews, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, potatoes, quinoa, are actually American plants that have lectins that we're not used to. So we take these foods away from people. We find that Whatever they came in with, uh, whether it was pain, whether it was depression, whether it was anxiety, whether it was an autoimmune disease, whether it was coronary artery disease, whether it was diabetes, these go away. And if you continue on this path, they stay away. This episode is sponsored by NED, one of my favorite CBD companies. NED's full-spectrum hemp oil products contain CBD extracted from the finest organic hemp plants. NED offers many different products, including a collection for balancing hormones and helping ease period pains. I personally have found their products to be a great addition to my mental self-care routine. Their full-spectrum hemp oils help me sleep better, fall asleep fast, and just feel overall much calmer. NED products are non-GMO, a great source of antioxidants, can help reduce inflammation and pain, and will not get you high. Thank you, Ned, for supporting the show. You can get 15% off today with free shipping by going to www.helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use the code Dr. Leaf, D-R-L-E-A-F. The link will also be in the show notes. What are some of the major health issues that people come to you with? And is there a growing trend that we should be concerned about? And I think I know your answer from what you've just told me, but I'd love to hear you you know, speak to that. Well, about 70% of my patients now come to see me with an autoimmune disease or multiple autoimmune diseases that they've been kind of everywhere, including five or seven university centers, without getting to the root cause of the problem. And what we do is, let me just backtrack for a second. Hippocrates, 2,500 years ago, said that all disease begins in the gut. And what we've learned is he was right. Mm. All disease begins in the gut. And autoimmune disease is just a manifestation of leaky gut. And when we seal the gut, and stop it leaking, then these diseases go away. What's fascinating is that lectins were designed by plants to create leaky gut. That's actually how they do their mischief. And when people say, well, there's lots of gut restoring protocols out there, and there's lots of leaky gut protocols out there, and that's true. What I like to tell people, and I guess I convince quite a few of them, that Let's suppose you and I are out on a rowboat in a lake, 
and we spring a leak in the bottom of our boat and water starts coming into the boat. We have two choices. One, if we have a glass or a bucket in the boat, we can start bailing and we can throw the water over the side and hopefully if the hole is small enough, we can keep up with it. Mm -hmm. But if the hole gets bigger, we need a bigger bucket and we have to bail faster. So most of the gut healing protocols are actually giving people buckets. Wow. On the other hand, it's a whole lot easier to plug the hole with your finger or whatever, duct tape, and then the water stops coming in. So if lectins are one of the major causes of the holes, then getting lectins out of the diet plugs the holes and that's all you got to do. Wow, that's incredibly simple. It's actually quite a, it's a paradigm shift for most people, I think, isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, really, uh, you know, simple solutions are always the best. And the more complex you make things and the more complex you try to make things, you're usually looking at the wrong answer. That's very good. That's very wise. And just related to that question, gut health and the microbiome, and it's everyone's talking about it now. I see that you do talk about probiotics and prebiotics, and how would that link in with controlling lectins in your diet? Well, again, long ago, we had we're supposed to have greater than 10,000 different species of bacteria and fungi and viruses in our gut. And this is a complex ecosystem like a tropical rainforest. That tropical rainforest is uh, very adept at being not only good at eating lectins, but also communicating to our immune system that they've got our back that they can handle just about anything that the world is going to throw down our gut and that the immune system can kind of relax and uh, go have a donut and a smoke mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, don't worry about it. Mm. What's happened to most of us, particularly in North America and now increasingly in the world, we've decimated this ecosystem, this rainforest with antibiotics that we're given or we take with antibiotics that are fed to our animals to make them grow fatter and uh, bigger, quicker. And so we've pretty much destroyed this wonderful tropical rainforest. And I go into, in all my books, the other seven deadly disruptors, which, for instance, uh, people don't realize that swallowing and ibuprofen is literally like swallowing a hand grenade that will blow holes in your gut. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of what happens. So probiotics, which are, if you will, friendly bacteria, mm -hmm. uh, most people don't realize that most of the probiotics we swallow never make it past gastric acid. Dead bacteria do have some usefulness and we can definitely measure that utility. Prebiotics, on the other hand, are what friendly bacteria need to eat to grow. Mm. And one of the things that I try to convince all of my patients is that I'd much rather you eat or take prebiotics than probiotics. I use the example here in Palm Springs, which is a desert. If I sold you grass seed, which is, a, if you will, a probiotic, a seed 
And uh, you come back a month later and you'd say, you sold me bad grass seed. It didn't grow. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we, you know, we sprinkled it out in the desert and it didn't grow. It's bad grassy. And I said, well, did you water it? Did you fertilize it? Well, no, you didn't tell me to. Well, it's not going to grow unless you, you know, water it and fertilize it. And that's most of the problem that people make. They might have bacteria or they swallow a bunch of probiotics, but they don't give the bacteria the things they need to eat to actually seal your gut. And so much of my next to last book, which was the longevity paradox, is a deep dive into the secret foods, if you will, that good bacteria need to keep you around for a very, very long time. Okay, so let's talk about that because that's what I'm, I'm really excited to get into as well. Is the, So the longevity paradox is the name of the book, How to Die Young at a Ripe Old Age. I love that subtitle. And in the book you mentioned most of us assume that aging means living with declining health, including prescription drugs and disease and chronic pain. So while we may be living longer, we're not necessarily living better. And that's the paradox of aging. And you also talk a bit about the disease of aging and you share a groundbreaking plan for living a long, healthy and happy life. I love this book. And can you talk about this book and continue the discussion that you just began in the previous question that led into this book? Well, most of us want to live a long time. But at the same time, and the paradox is most of us don't want to get old. We look at what's happening to family members, loved ones, or friends, and it doesn't look very good getting old. It means, you know, bypass surgery or stents or having hip or knee replacements, or the worst scenario is living in uh, assisted living and not, you know, remembering your loved one's names or mm. even your spouse's name. And that doesn't seem appealing. What's important to realize is that that's actually not our fate. It's not the fate of people who live in blue zones, which mm -hmm. Dan Pretner, the journalist, uh, described. Mm. And interestingly enough, I'm the only nutritionist who has actually ever spent most of his career in a blue zone, a Loma Linda. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Loma Linda is the only blue zone in the United States. So what the secret is, is that the more diverse our microbiome, the more friendly bacteria we have in our gut, or the interaction of those bacteria with the lining of our gut, and the more that lining is intact, and the more really cool bioactive compounds, I'll just name one that we talk a lot about in the book called butyrate. Mm. Not only the longer you're going to live, but the better you're going to live longer. And if anybody uses the argument, well, we're living longer and each year we live longer and longer and longer. So that's great. It turns out that the last three years in a row, our longevity has declined. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was about to actually ask you about yeah. it because I said trend is, you know, it's not happening anymore. The trend is reversed. Nope. Yeah. And, you know, there's some pretty good evidence that, you know, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, but my daughters who are Gen Xers will, if they don't 
change, and thank goodness both of my daughters changed, they will have shorter lives than mm-hmm. the baby boomers. And that's pretty doggone scary. Mm, and, and, again, and again, it's already happening. Three years in a row now, our lifespan has decreased rather than increased. And they even, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you've, well, you've obviously read the research, but they started getting indications of this back in 96. And I know when I was started practicing in the mid 80s, I really saw the shift in people's diets and the shift in how people are, you know, shifting to medication, shifting to the modern American diet, all these things that you talk about. I watched this and, and I watched the this moving forward and people literally moving backwards. So yeah. you, know, you can't keep messing with these things and expect no consequences. So I'm so glad you've raised this point. Yeah, you know, the the average American now takes seven prescription drugs and considers that normal. It's crazy. Yeah, and as I unfortunately have learned, sickness is really good for business. And Mm. I get uh, family practice residents that rotate through my clinic for a month in their third year Mm -hmm. before they go out into practice. And Number one, none of them are exposed to uh, what I call restorative medicine. If you want to call it functional medicine, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And every one of them uh, has gone back to their counselor and say, oh, wow, you know, this is what I went into medicine to do. This is, you know, this is what I thought was going to happen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do this. And their counselor's person look at them and say, are you crazy? You have to see a patient every, you know, five to 10 minutes throughout the day. You have to move 40 patients through your office every day to make a living. And you can't spend an hour with a new patient and you can't spend a half an hour with a patient every three months. That's crazy. You have to write prescriptions and that's what you got to do. And, oh but gosh. unfortunately, this is, you know, uh, our system. Where the mental, where the self-medical system has gone, it's just shocking. But I think there is hope. I think, for instance, folks like the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is now, you know, actively involved in in training uh, functional medicine practitioners. Mm. I train people who want to rotate with me in restorative medicine. Mm. So there's hope. It's going to be a very hard process, though, because big money is involved. Exactly. That is making it a hard process. But thank goodness for people like you and clinics like you. And as you say, at least functional medicine is taking a bit more ground at the moment. And at least those new doctors are getting exposure to your kind of way of practicing medicine and your books are out there. And, you know, that's that does, as you say, provide hope. Yeah, my uh, the plant paradox has been translated into thirty six foreign languages now. So wow, that's fantastic. It, it does get around. Do you struggle to fall asleep? Maybe you find yourself getting more and more headaches. The problem could be coming from your technology. Many studies have shown that exposure to artificial blue light can disrupt sleeping patterns, increase headaches, and can even contribute to increased levels of stress and anxiety by raising cortisol. But don't worry, there is a solution. Blue Blocks Glasses. Blue Blocks is the only company that offers blue light filtering lenses backed by the latest science. They also have the largest selection of frames to choose from. And they are the only company that can take your own frames 
and turn them into Blue Blocks glasses. I love my Blue Blocks glasses and I wear them every day. They have been specially helpful as I work on my new book late at night on my computer. And just for my listeners, Blue Box is offering a 15% off discount with the code LEAF, L-E-A-F, at checkout. The link and details will be in the show notes. Okay, so carry on explaining about the longevity paradox. You were explaining about the people dying younger, how their trend has reversed over the last three years. Yeah, so, you know, I think the longevity paradox is just is a guide to, okay, how do you die young at a ripe old age? And the tricks, I think, are easier than some people realize. Let me just give one kind of fun example. We know that women who exercise regularly will delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease by 11 years if they are prone to Alzheimer's disease. Women, believe it or not, get more Alzheimer's disease than Mm. men, which surprises most women. Mm. But women who exercise regularly 90% of them will never develop Alzheimer's. And if they develop Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's will occur 11 years later than if they didn't exercise regularly. That's incredible. So it'd be one thing to develop Alzheimer's at, say, 80, but quite another at 91. Mm -hmm. Imagine what kind of time that gives you. You know, if we had a drug that, was preventative of Alzheimer's in, you know, 90% of people, you know, how much would we pay for that? Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. But I actually write prescriptions in my office for people to go get a dog. Mm. I believe it or not, a dog makes you go exercise twice a day, Mm -hmm. whether you want to or not. Exactly. That's so good. And some of my patients actually return with the prescription framed as the best prescription a doctor ever gave them. I love that. I love that. I mean, there's another trick. For instance, a paper out of Singapore uh, last year looked at the effect of eating two cups of mushrooms a week on reducing dementia by 80%, just two cups of mushrooms. That's amazing. It didn't even have to be special wild ones. Button mushrooms will actually do it for you. Oh, that's incredible. Could you maybe just give one more tip? Yeah. I think the other really big tip is time-restricted feeding. Now, Mm. some people call this intermittent fasting, but intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting is a a good technique, but it's totally different than time-restricted feeding. And time-restricted feeding literally limits the amount of time during the day that you are engaging in eating and taking in calories. And I talk about in the book that some really exciting new research in brain research shows that we clean our brains out every night. Our brain undergoes a wash cycle where Mm -hmm. toxins and abnormal proteins like amyloid beta and tau proteins are literally washed out of your Mm -hmm. brain. And that wash cycle occurs quite early in the sleep cycle. It occurs during deep sleep. Now, Mm -hmm. not REM sleep. And 
if you eat near the time you go to bed, all of your blood flow is actually taken down to your intestines for digestion, and you don't have enough blood flow to drive the brain wash cycle. And so Dr. Dale Bredesen, my colleague who wrote The End of Alzheimer's, and I really urge people to stop eating th three to four hours before bedtime. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And to also have hopefully a 14 to 16 hour window every day of not eating. And the good news is if you get eight hours of sleep, uh, you're, mm -hmm. that counts as not You're halfway there. You're halfway right. there. <laughs> And so the more we can compress that window of eating, you're going to actually supercharge, turbocharge the mitochondria in your cells. They'll become incredibly efficient. And all the evidence points to the fact that the more efficient we make our mitochondria, the longer you're going to live and the longer you're going to live well. And mm, that's, that's the key. That's what we all want to do. Oh, that's the key. But I want to just relate that for a moment back to just people's general mental health. And I'm not talking mental health in the standard way that they talk about it today. My field of research is in the mind-brain connection and mental health from the perspective of it's not a disease. It's basically normal to be sad, depressed, et cetera. And yes, we go through yep. stuff and we have traumas and whatever, but it's very much related to the things you're saying, how we're eating, our lifestyle. And, you know, the whole death of despair and everything you've been speaking about, people dying younger, they're tracking back to lifestyle diseases, which is really what you're telling us is that we've really got to be proactive from young in how we are going to make decisions about things like sleeping, eating, et cetera, which are mind decisions, you know, and so Hearing you say all these things is very inspiring to me and to the research that I do as well. Can you just talk a little bit about how you see mental health and just the impact with your patients in change when you change their diet? Do you see a change in how they're managing the anxiety and the depression and, you know, the stuff that all of us go through? Well, you know, I think with every passing week, a new paper comes out about the gut-brain connection, the gut-brain axis. And more importantly, we used to think that so many of the neuroactive hormones were made in the gut, but now we're realizing that most of them are actually made by the microbiome, by gut bacteria. Mm. And so much of anxiety and depression, which, of course, as you and I both know, has just skyrocketed over mm -hmm. the last 50 years, I think we can actually lay this at the feet of an altered microbiome. And certainly in my patients, a large number of them come with uh, anxiety and depression and often on multiple medications. Mm. And part of my job is restoring their gut microbiome to a point where for the most part, knock on wood, we can wean them off of their antidepressants. Sometimes we have to use a tiny amount, but most of the time we can get them off. And that's so exciting that people have the ability to do this, that it's not mm. their fate, that somehow they inherited this and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm. Except take those awful drugs that actually destroy the GI system anyway. Yes, that's exactly right. And there's mm. more and more evidence that these drugs 
alter the microbiome for the worse. Exactly, and increase the potential for dementia. I'm sure you've seen that, oh, those papers yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even the long-term effect of acid-reducing drugs, proton pump mm. inhibitors on dementia is, is scary. It's scary. Which, mm. which I talk about in, in all my books. There's a really good study that I really urge everybody to read, and it's easy to look up on the Internet. It's called the Appleton, Wisconsin Middle School Study. And if mm -hmm. people just type that in, Appleton, Wisconsin, a lovely little town uh, in the middle of Wisconsin, had a issue in middle schools, a typical issue in middle school, bad behavior, bad grades, a lot of trips to the vice principal's office, a lot of truancy. And they actually partnered with a organic cafe in town to feed breakfast and lunch at the school. And then they taught the parents how they'd like them to, you know, feed the kids at home as much as possible. And they tracked truancy, they tracked behavior, they tracked scores and tests. And lo and behold, truancy dropped, behavior improved, scores went up. And they were so excited that they said, well, we can't just ask this cafe to keep doing this. We should kind of institutionalize this and we'll find a provider to do this. And they hired a company, and I won't mention the name, but you'll probably see them in uh, airports, mm -hmm. to provide food services. And as soon as a major corporation began providing the food services, lo and behold, everything went back to baseline. Oh, I, I tell you, I, I know that study. I know this. I have trained in schools. One of the things I do is train teachers. I train physicians and that kind of thing as well. And this eating thing in schools, I, I sometimes feel like I'm bashing my head against a brick wall where you walk around the school and you see what these children are being fed and then you explain what this is doing and they carry on feeding them the same food. It's just, it's a mystery. But as you say, the mystery is not really a mystery. It's financially driven. Right. Yeah. And it's so, for instance, and you and I know these studies, you can take a family and put them on organic food for three weeks, and you can see that their levels of pesticides and heavy metals and organopollutants actually drop dramatically mm -hmm. and come mm -hmm. out in their urine in just three weeks. And, it's unreal. Yeah. And their mental health, you find the relationships improve, they, we see changes in the brain, like with using the QEGs, you just see changes in behavior, yep. in managing anxiety, it, it changes. Yep. Maybe make a political comment. Maybe we should put all of our uh, congressional people on these sorts of diets. And <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's very appropriate, <laughs> especially for the current the current yeah, climate. Right, for the current climate. And, <laughs> and, and, oh and, gosh, and I love that. Could probably use it. <laughs> I think it's exactly, and I think it's a prescription from a doctor. You should give that prescription. It's very necessary. <laughs> Before we continue with today's episode, I want to tell you about a pair of shoes that have changed my life from Rothy's. I love my white sneakers and I wear them everywhere. They're not only very comfortable, but they look great with everything. I might just wear these on stage at all my speaking events from now on. Plus, I love Rothy's commitment to sustainability. Each pair of shoes is made out of recycled plastic water bottles and they're fully machine washable. Need more convincing? 
Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. No risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Go to rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get your new favorite flats. These are the shoes that you have been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Dr. Leaf today. Yeah, so I take care of a lot of children and teenagers originally with autoimmune diseases, and they're some of the most challenging to try and keep them on this program, but it's worth it for them to get off of all the medications that they're on. Plus, I have two grandchildren who are three and five years old, mm. and my oldest daughter, who's the, or she and her husband, uh, have my grandchildren, uh, said, you know, you know, we're sold, we've both lost 60 pounds on your program, and but we want to, you know, make it easy for our kids. You know, how do we feed our kids? You know, we both work. How do you do this? And so I had so many requests that we put together this new uh, Plant Paradox family cookbook. Most of the recipes use an instant pot or a pressure cooker or a sheet pan. They come together incredibly quickly. And it's funny, the feedback since we released it in November is that everybody says, number one, these are your best recipes yet. And they are so easy. And at least my grandkids think uh, that, okay, these are the best yet. So... And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted you know, working it. families. We're all, you know, everybody's working two or three jobs and we're trying to get our kids, you know, to 14 soccer practices and school activities. Mm. And it's so easy to slip in the trap of, oh, heck, on the way home, I'll grab a pizza or I'll grab a tacos or a bucket of chicken. And, you know, I'm just too exhausted. But. Again, we set the stage for our kids not performing well, for us not performing well, to be exhausted all the time, and to be anxious and depressed all the time. And it's, there's a better way, and so I wanted to try to make this accessible, and so far, so good. That's wonderful. So you talk about setting up healthy habits for children that they can continue into adulthood. Would you mind just maybe giving just one or two examples? And I know you've mentioned it's easy, you can get the kids involved, but do you have one or two examples just to show people how important this book is to help teach your children to become healthy adults? And it starts with children, childhood, I should say. Kids aren't born with innate taste preferences. For instance, a Japanese child is not born wanting to eat seaweed, for an example. And mm -hmm. our children are not born wanting to have macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets for you know every meal. Mm. We teach them these things. And we can teach them other things. And even in the book, what I suggest, let's suppose you've got kids of a thinking age, and we'll define that as maybe three and above. Let them make a decision about one thing that they're going to throw out of the pantry. And let it be a mutual family decision. Maybe it's bread. Maybe it's Kraft macaroni and cheese. Maybe it's cow yogurt, but make them have a decision in it and give them a little power over all this. And then once that, you know, 
has been done. Then what I like to do years ago, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Schmidt, who's won three James Beard Awards, said what we're really trying to do is have food you love, but that loves you back. And so Mm. I try to create recipes that taste like the foods you love, look like the foods you love, but lack lectins or lectins have been taken care of by pressure cooking. And so that it now is going to nourish you rather than do you in. And it's so important uh, as a children's heart surgeon, I can tell you that I could operate on an eight or 10 year old child for congenital heart disease and already see plaques in the main blood vessels of these kids already. And so we've, Mm. yeah, we've got to set the stage early and the sooner you do this, the more you're going to give your kids just a phenomenal life. And, you know, all of us brought kids into the world with the idea that we wanted them to have a great life, right? Mm, Exactly. And why wouldn't we set them up for the best? Exactly. And you then you see people feeding, you know, and I go to these places wherever I'm lecturing or whatever, and I see them feeding themselves and their children this junky modern American diet. And I think, you know, you wouldn't give your child heroin and cocaine, but, you know, you're giving them the modern American diet and they're not that different. You know, it's in terms of what it's yeah, going to do to no, your brain exactly and your body, right. you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with the Manel Laboratories. Well, we know that the modern American diet is just the food industry is unregulated and the Manel Laboratories where they do the bliss point studies yep. with children as young as four. I yep. mean, it's shocking. I've written a book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart where I address the issues, you know, some very similar issues to what you're addressing, but just from a different, more mental health angle. And I talk about that. And most people haven't heard about that, don't realize that our kids are being used to find the point at which your hormone systems can be damaged and your brain can be damaged so that you'll eat more junk so you'll get, you know, sicker. And, and that's what our kids are growing up on. But 50, 60 years ago, as you also said, this was not the case. So as adults, we have to take the lead on this and really teach our children. We have a responsibility. Yep. It starts with each individual. We This will not change from the top down. Uh, the government is not going to tell us to change. Pharmaceutical companies are not going to change. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Gosh, it's now been, I think, 10 years I was approached by some manufacturers at a major Midwestern city to come in and set up a healthy eating program in the with these manufacturers. And I said, well, gosh, you know, you've got a great medical school in your town. You've got a great hospital system in your town. You know what? Silly to have me do this. Why don't you work with them? And they said, oh, we tried. And, you know, we had a big meeting and said, here's what we want. And, you know, we want to partner with you. And they said, you got this all wrong. You know, we're not in the wellness business. We're in the sickness business. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I went, well, at least they were honest. Gosh. That's the only good thing that came out of that statement was at least they were honest. But isn't that honesty scary? Yeah. Yeah. We call these, you know, health centers. And they're not health centers. They're sickness centers. Exactly. Exactly. They're not in disease prevention. We're in disease. Well, they're in disease management. It's terrible. Well, that's scary. Well, it's, it's like to tell a patient who's a diabetic. If you came in, say, with pneumonia, 
and you know, I'll, I'll give you an antibiotic, get rid of your pneumonia, I certainly would not say, well, you have pneumonia and I'm going to help manage your pneumonia for the rest of your life. And you know, a patient would go, what, are you crazy? Exactly. I, I, I want you to get rid of this. I want exactly. you to teach me how to get rid of this. And yet, to this day, so many of my diabetic patients are told that we're going to manage this. You can't get rid of diabetes. And it's like, Terrible. huh? Fooled me. But this is, you know, we're going to manage. That's what they're doing. That's what they're saying with, with when you feel depressed or right. sad, as though it's some kind of illness. I mean, well, that's just a signal that there's actually something going on that you need to address. Maybe it's the socioeconomic situation, the political situation. Sure a child being bullied and you know so it's yep. just another way of diagnosing labeling and medicating isn't it i mean it's just yep. i love your analogy there it's so true i mean that's brilliant absolutely brilliant i have to have you back on the show again because you're just so so fascinating and have so much wisdom but we are times almost up and i'd want to be respectful of your time and your busy schedule so i just wanted to end off with two quick questions what are some health and wellness fads you're most concerned about and some that maybe you're excited about ah. The carnivore diet has uh, reared its head again, and I love it when people take a diet and rename it and try to make it sexy. People should give credit where credit is due. The carnivore mm -hmm. diet is the Adkins diet. And before him, it was actually the drinking man's diet written. By, mm. by, yeah, it was called the drinking man's diet. That's interesting. But these, you know, ultra high protein diets come and go. They do produce weight loss. I wrote about it in my first book years ago. But the long term consequences are not good. There's a recent paper that I tweeted about a couple of days ago that these carnivore diets produce unstable plaque in arteries compared to another form of diet. So we just got to be careful. Mm, about definitely that. about fads. Yeah, for sure. And the other fad, I take care of large numbers of vegans and vegetarians. And I, my wife and I eat primarily a vegan diet during the week. And then we add shellfish primarily on the weekend, wild shellfish. But so many of my patients with autoimmune diseases are vegans or vegetarians. And you got to know which plants like you and which mm -hmm. plants don't like you. So mm -hmm. I am a plant predator. If anyone's ever eaten, mm -hmm. me, they know, you know, I will devour plants. But mm -hmm. I choose my friends among the plant world. So interesting. I love the way you explain that. So, for instance, you know, the new meat alternative burgers, uh, both of them test positive for Roundup, glyphosate. Terrible. And why any of us who would want to be munching a burger that contains glyphosate in the name of eating, you know, plant-centric, it just yeah. it boggles my mind. It bothers mine too. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm so glad you brought that up. Wow. Well, where can people find out more about you? Because I know you've piqued so much interest and in your books and your work. And obviously, we'll put everything in the show notes as well. So they can go to drgundry.com or gundrymd.com. I've got Instagram pages, Facebook pages. I have a podcast, Dr. Gundry Podcast. Hopefully, I wave to your listeners from their computer several times a day on the, the internet and uh, click it sometimes. I, I also now have the Longevity Paradox uh, public television uh, special that's 
just released in December, and uh, thankfully, it's getting rave reviews, and it's a wonderful. It's a good view. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations for that and all your incredible work and coming from the patient's perspective and from the perspective that you have of helping us to, you know, fight against this terrible sort of modern American diet and, and listening to the patient. I think it's just to have doctors listening to the patient. It's just wonderful. So thank you for your wisdom. And it will be wonderful to interview you again sometime and get some more wisdom from you. All right. Thank you for your time. You've been amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for much having me on the show today. And uh, Carolyn, it's great to chat with you. I've enjoyed chatting with you too. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.